Hi everyone, a quick heads up. Today's episode contains some challenging topics and difficult conversations. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast, the official podcast of the United Grand Lodge of England. Chaps, it's great to be with you again. How are we? Doing really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. But how are you really? Good, actually. Yeah. yeah. Very Thanks, good. James. Stephen, how are you? Uh, busy, but but good. Um, we've just Always. launched the uh, District Grand Lodge of Gibraltar website. Yes, um, so, so fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely a, a big win for our for our district. So, so I've been very busy with bit of a labour of love for you, that isn't it? Yeah, been been a been a a, a very busy time. But it, it, yeah, it's been as you say, it's been a labour of love. It's been great. Not very to mention doing your master's degree at the same time. Yes, obviously a, that, a minor that took priority. Detail, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, chaps, it's 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 great to be with you as always. We do have an interesting guest joining us today, Frank Tiller who is a London Freemason, who is uh, has a very, very interesting story to tell about his battle with prostate cancer and his work afterwards with a, a charity called CHAPS to offer prostate screening across the country and obviously because of the demographic of our membership within UGLE, we are keen to give Frank the opportunity to come in, tell his story, talk about his experiences, especially seeing as this podcast is going to be released the day after International Men's Day. And prostate cancer, we think, is a topic that, Mm. as men, we don't talk about enough. And and I think particularly important to mention is that it's not just relevant to those in in a risk age group. Mm. You know, I think this is an interesting topic to people, uh, you know, more our age as well, um, partly because we, we have family members who are, older and who are in that risk age group Mm. and being in the period of international men's day we just thought it was really appropriate to start with this for season two our first full-length episode um it's a super important topic as stephen says it can affect anybody either through awareness or through diagnosis so being an organization you jelly made up of male members um we we hope that those listening whether you're a mason or even if you're not a mason um, find this conversation useful and informative and, and perhaps even a call to action in some cases. Absolutely. And it's important also to note that Frank, as he says himself, yeah, I'm sure he'll share this shortly, isn't a medic. He's going to be speaking about his own personal experiences. But you know, we're going to speak about numbers and all sorts of things, statistics and, and, and whatnot. But as Frank will describe... I'm sure we're looking at around an average of sort of 5% of prostate uh, prostate screening tests coming back with with a red um, score which means that you're you need to basically go and visit your doctor for further investigation um, 5% if we entirely entirely unscientific calculation here but if you take 175,000 U jelly members that's 8,750 freemasons who potentially are walking around with a high PSA score. It's two provinces worth of Freemasons. Two provinces worth of Freemasons. So, without further ado, I think we should hear Frank's story. What do you think, chaps? Yeah. Definitely. Let's, Let's go. go. So, Frank, welcome to Craftcast. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Um, could you just start for us and the listeners by giving a bit of an introduction, who you are, your connection to Freemasonry? 
it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not so much a connection, but more of embedded, really. Mm. I joined Freemasonry 42 years ago uh, when I was initiated, and it's been a very interesting journey in Freemasonry. I very much enjoy it. I recommend it for all those that are listening today that are not Masons. And I am here today, really, to explain to listeners about prostate cancer in general, awareness of it in particular, and more particularly, uh, prostate cancer screening and the benefits thereof. Mm, yeah, no, it's great to have you with us, Frank. I mean, genuinely, obviously, in the, the job that I do, and even as hosts of this podcast, we get to meet a lot of fascinating and interesting people who have very uh, interesting stories to tell. But I think having met and discussed this with Frank previously, it was an issue and a story that I think most people who are listening will have some sort of awareness or connection to cancer or know someone who has suffered with with cancer. And I was particularly touched listening and talking to Frank about your story mm. and your own experiences, which then obviously leads us to where we are today and talking about prostate cancer screening and all those sorts of things. So Frank, I wonder if for the benefit of the listeners, you could give us an overview of your experience and how you got to where you are today doing what you're doing. Okay, so... It goes back really to 2019, late 2018, early 2019. Um, my GP contacted me to say they're most apologetic, but they hadn't done a standard blood test for me because I'm on other medication, statins, etc. when you get to a person of a certain age. <laughs> and when I was working annually, I had a, an annual medical uh, of which part of it was having a PSA test and I said to my GP could I please have a PSA test I haven't had one for 18 months maybe more and they said to me are you having any issues any symptoms I said no I just would like to have it checked and they were pushing back a little bit and said well you don't really need it if you haven't got any symptoms I said well I still would like to have it checked because I'm I worry about these things and they said do you have any uh, family that have had um, anything to do with their prostate, any issues? I went, no. And I said, well, we'll leave it. It's not a problem. I said, no, uh, if, if if you don't tick it, I'm going to tick it as I go to the reception and hand it in. Yeah. I said, okay, well, we'll tick it. And they ticked it. And 48 hours later, um, I get a phone call saying, could you please come to the, to the surgery because we have had, a, had an abnormal reading on your blood test. I said, okay, fine. So I went back and I said, what was it, you know? So it was your PSA. It spiked because your last reading was 4.09 and it is now 6.73. They're numbers I'll never forget. Mm. And I said, oh, what does that mean? I said, well, you'd have to go to a urologist because you might have prostate cancer. And I went white. Yeah. Um, and I'm on my own there. And I thought, well, what's this all about? So I went to... Uh, the local uh, hospital, uh, well, first of all, I made an appointment to go and see a urologist, which took a couple of weeks. Um, I went to local hospital, saw the urologist. Uh, they gave me a digital rectal examination, which I've had many of them in the past when I went for my private medicals from work. This one was particularly awkward, um, wasn't very pleasant and somewhat painful. And it's been the only time that's ever happened. Mm -hmm. And they said, we can feel a nodule. I said, 
and what does that mean? And they said, um, I'm pretty sure it's cancer. Well, um, my wife was with me. I went out. I, it was a hard time holding back the emotion to get a, that word cancer um, told to you. It's very difficult. And if you feel as though your world's about to collapse. And of course, I knew nothing about the prostate. I knew nothing about prostate cancer. I was totally and utterly ignorant. I, I didn't even know what it was all about, what it's for, why, why this is happening to me. Um, I decided after years and years of paying for Bupa and never using it, this was the big one, I'm going to use it. Mm. So I then just switched to private. And I saw a very, very nice consultant, uh, Mr. Timothy Briggs. He's retired now. Uh, he was he was lovely. He was lovely to both my wife and I. And he went through all the the issues. And he said that um, whilst the PSA test itself is not conclusive, we, what we would have to do is we have to do an MRI scan, which they did, and that proved conclusively that there was um, a growth in my prostate. Right. But he knew exactly where it was from the from the MRI scan, and then the following week I went in for biopsy. And he did a biopsy, and it was an aggressive cancer. So things were not getting any better. They were just getting worse at every next stage. And we then, I say we, because it affects my wife as well, we had to make a decision whether to have a radical prostatectomy, which means removing the prostate completely, or what I call going the chemical route, which is either hormone treatment, radi uh, radiotherapy, chemotherapy, brachytherapy. There's lots of different therapies for prostate cancer, all of which had to be explained to me, by the way, yeah. uh, because one doesn't know. No. The, the, the medics do. I'm not a medic. I didn't know. And um, interestingly, I'd like to thank my, thank my wife, Sandra, who was brilliant at this. Because I can't think straight, Take it, always take somebody with you because they can take notes and they're listening yeah. to what I can't listen to. But she turned around to Mr. Briggs, who is a surgeon, and said, Mr. Briggs, if this was you and you'd been given this diagnosis, what would you do? Would you have the surgery or would you have the, the alternative? He said, well, I'm a surgeon. He said, it's the quickest uh, way to get rid of the cancer. Um, it has a very effective uh, success rate of more than 75%. The survival rate is more than 10 years. I would do that, no questions asked. But he said, but don't make a decision. Go and see an oncologist and get their point of view. You have to do that. So I went to an oncologist and he went through the, the whole process. And it, it wasn't very, but there's lots of side effects of it because with radiotherapy, apparently it, it can fuse the prostate to your... Um, can't think of the name of it. It'll come to me later. Mm. But anyway, it, it will cause a, a joining of something which is never to be undried, and then you can't have surgery. Right, okay. So that was the, the point. Yeah. And then, so Sandra said to him, given the current circumstances, if you were in Frank's situation, what would you do? And he prevaricated, he hummed and he hawed, and he, he, wouldn't, he just would not commit. Mm. And we walked out of there, and I said to Sandra, he'd have the surgery, wouldn't he? So yeah. she goes, we're having the surgery. Mm -hmm. So that's what we decided to do. We had the surgery. And um, the surgery, it was done by robotics. And not that I saw any of it because I was out for six or seven hours. But the surgeon came to me afterwards and said, 
Um, it was very successful. We got the prostate out. We got the cancer with it. We're going to send it away. During the course of the surgery, he said, what we do is we keep you under, we take the prostate, we take it to histology and we start slicing it. We're looking for cancer cells yeah. and we, t we take a margin. So we go beyond the prostate. He said, we've only taken the margin on your right hand side, not the left hand side. I said, and what does that mean? He said, if I took it from both sides, he said, you'd be incontinent and you'd have erectile dysfunction guaranteed. He said, this way, he said, you were lucky. You might have one or the other or both. It yeah. might be permanent. We don't know. It depends on how you heal. Okay. I was very pleased about that. It turns out it was very aggressive when it was tested in histology. I imagine was, they're checking for if it's metastasized as well. Uh, yes, they are. And they're also looking to the lymph glands to see whether the, the, um, the cancer has spread around your mm. bloodstream. And um, he said, I don't think you'll need anything else other than that. And he sent me home. And it took about six to nine weeks of recovery uh, before I, 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 I mean, I'm not young now, I'm 70, but I felt as I was about 90 when I was walking. Really? Um, it was, it, it really took, takes it out of you. And I went back for um, a CT scan and everything was clear. I had another blood test. My PSA now was less than zero. Oh, um, good. Yeah. Which it should be. It should yeah. be. There, there was always some part of your body that has uh, this prostate serum antigen in it. And it never sort of goes from your body. Um, and then comes the next difficulties. Yes, um, I did have continence issues. Every time I moved, every time I coughed, every time I sneezed, I peed. It was horrible. I had to wear pads where where they had to cut me above my belly button to get the prostate out was healing quite nicely. Um, all the other places where they stuck probes in my chest to watch what they were doing on the screens, they all healed nicely. Um, I had erectile dysfunction. I didn't know whether that would ever come back. Uh, we went to see some, some specialist lady. I don't know what they call her. I don't even know what her title was. We were recommended to go to her to discuss all the things you can do about erectile dysfunction if it was on a more permanent basis. Pumps, injections, tablets. Anyway, we didn't want to go there. We thought, let's just see how it goes. And uh, it sort of, whilst the incontinence got better over time, the erectile dysfunction did not. And I'm being perfectly honest and open with you because people that have to go through what I've gone through should know. I was given tablets called Tadad Tadadafil for erectile, for erectile dysfunction. It just gave me raging headaches uh, rather than having the desired effect. And I went back to my GP. I said, I can't take these tablets anymore. Is there an alternative? They said, try Viagra. It didn't work either. And I sort of just accepted the fact that that's what my life was going to be. But although the doctor, the GP, she was lovely, actually. She said, look, don't lose heart. Um, some... Um, stroke patients who find it difficult to talk or they lose their the side of their face or it, the nerves yeah. do repair. Yeah, yeah. And you you never know. Give it 18 months, give it two years before you start decrying the fact that this is the rest of your life. Mm. And actually 18 months later, it all started to come back and life is normal again, thank God, you oh, know. Brilliant. And okay. for those men out there that think, you know, uh, it's a very masculine thing about erectile dysfunction and many men don't talk about it. Mm. But um, there, there is hope out there. It does come back. The, 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 the nerves 
repair themselves yeah. miraculously. I mean, you know, if you believe in God, thank you, God. You know, it was just amazing. So yeah. that was my story. And, and while I was recovering for those six or eight, nine weeks, I started wondering, wasn't I lucky? I was asymptomatic. Mm. My doctor just happened to call me in. I just happened to have cancer. I just happened to have a great surgeon and I just happened to get cured. Mm. Um, and I'm forever grateful to, if you like, the great architect above mm. to give me that second chance um, and prolong my life. And I started thinking, what happens to all the other men like me? If they don't get picked up, what's going to happen to them? They're, they're walking around not knowing they've got cancer. Yeah. Well, you were lucky, but you were also adamant that you were going to have the test. And, and so many Absolutely. people obviously would have left it at, oh, okay, fine, I don't yeah. need it. I, yes. think, I think that is actually mm. super important because you say you were lucky and clearly you were mm. um, to have come through it. But I think if you had accepted the, oh, you don't need the test that you said at the beginning. But I think so many outcome, people would and do. The outcome could have been yeah. so different, couldn't it? Absolutely. And I meet a lot of men, friends. Uh, Masons, lots of people I have this conversation with where they say, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I had a PSA test. And I go, well, go and have one. Yeah. They say, well, I'm all right. There is a sort of urban legend or a, 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 fall a fallacy out there that PSA tests are not an accurate way to diagnose prostate yes, cancer. Um, yes. but, but I think from what you're saying is you still need to have a follow-up examination, an MRI yes. or whatever, but they're a good indicator that you should go and do that. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yes. Look, there, there's lots of uh, urban myths out there about the accuracy of a PSA test and false positives, false negatives. But, guys, it's the only test. Mm. There is no other test. Also, it's not a, a, a painful procedure, a PSA test. So, no, it's, so it's just, they it, just so take why a not? of blood it's, out it's, of your arm and that's it. You know, it's so, a little pinprick. Um, in terms of non-invasivity, you know, there is nothing yeah. to, to lose from going and doing that. Um, it's not like the more rigorous test that you would have after a positive mm. PSA mm. test is, you know, there is nothing to lose from, from Absolutely going Absolutely nothing it. to lose. So Frank, do you, to gain. Do, you, do you think that's part of the challenge, the position you're in now in terms of building awareness, trying to encourage other people to, to go and get checked and regularly get checked? Is it overcoming that sort of stigma of them not understanding what's involved in a PSA test? Mm. Or do you, th do you think people are just sort of scared? You know, that it's almost, would you rather not know? You know, short term, yes, it's a, it's a scary, scary thing, as I think come across in your, in your story. It's a scary thing to have to confront and the realities of your life after diagnosis. And maybe people, maybe there's an element of people just being a bit scared of having to face up to that. Mm. and just hedging their bets that they're fine, they haven't got any symptoms, but then as we heard, you didn't have any symptoms. No. Um, look, this is a, a, a very common issue with men and men's health generally. Yeah. Men never go to the doctor themselves under their own volition. It's always their wife or their mum or their sister tells them they should go to the doctor. We're terrible. We're absolutely terrible at looking after our own health. And I think that's a major issue. Secondly, when it comes to the prostate, men by definition are virile. Virile means that, you know, you don't want erectile dysfunction, yeah. you don't want incontinence. And the very thought of it, the very thought of it sort of just makes you feel you're not a man anymore. Yeah. And that's really 
doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It's not helpful, is it? I mean, not helpful at yeah, all. That all. state of mind has to be changed and making men aware, which is what my principal passion is now, yeah. is just give them the, the awareness and also the tools mm. to help them with the, with the screening and the testing. I mean, I think as a, I'm, I'm 23, the only reason that I really know anything about this is through through my studies because, because uh, yes. uh, you know, I study a, a medical subject. Um, but I think aside from that, most of my friends will have more or less no idea. Yeah. No, but uh, there's still something this. you can do. Yeah. I see what you can do. What? You can go and talk to your dad. You can talk to your uncle. Yeah. Talk yeah. to your Definitely. grandfather. Talk to your cousins. All of those who are over 40 and say, look, guys, start thinking about it now. Mm. You can educate them because you don't need to have it done now, but you yeah. know you can spread the word. Yeah. And, and, and Frank, I think you, you shared an incredibly powerful story there. And, and I think we were all kind of humbled listening to the experience that you went through. And now that things have improved and, 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 and you're well again, you've kind of taken your experience into the education of others. Absolutely. And, and in raising awareness of others. Could you just talk to us a bit about the work that you're doing and what you're involved with and, and, and how you're using your experience and, and your membership of Freemasonry to support awareness of this. Absolutely. Let me just go go back to when I was sitting at home recovering. I realised that I am a member of a male-dominated organisation. Yes, I know there's Lady Masons. And there is a set of men, all of a certain age, because the average age of a Mason is, I suppose from your 23-year-old perspective, <laughs> from your 23-year-old perspective, old men. <laughs> and you're probably right, because I was 23 and I looked at someone like me, I'd say he's an old man. Um, and here was a, a set of, me, of men that they, they absolutely fit the criteria of needing to be tested and screened. So I decided that I'd approach, well, it was my inspector at the time, and he said, you really need, it's beyond my pay grade. He <laughs> said, you need to go and uh, speak to the Metropolitan Grand Secretary. So I've, I fired off an email to uh, David, David Swain. Yes, David Swain. I know David. Nice yeah. guy, yeah. And uh, he was very, very supportive. Very supportive. He said, I like what the idea of it. You're helping Macy's, you're helping men. I said, I'm behind you 100%. Mm. He said, and I would, and... He said, where would you like, what, how do you want to do it? I said, don't really know at the moment, but I just wanted to get a nod from somebody and then I'll go and figure it out. He said, good, come back to me when you figured it out. So I made some inquiries. I found that there was a charity based in Essex, um, Essex province, mm. and they had done a, a bit of screening, uh, but on a really large scale. Like They did a men's health day, I think it was. So it wasn't just PSA, it was heart and diabetes, etc. And I got their contact details, phoned uh, the charity, I spoke to his doctor, a retired consultant, Chris Booth, and um, his, you could feel his ears pricked up. I said, I, I think I want to try and do something about prostate cancer in Metropolitan Grand Lodge. And um, he said, well, we can do screening. And he went through the whole process for me. And I said, well, that sounds really good. And, I, and he gave me some of the statistics in other places that they've done. And I started a working relationship with him. And then we had our inaugural screening session in June of 2020. It wasn't particularly well attended. I think I've got the stats here, actually. The number of people that attended the very first session was just uh, 71. 
That's true. That's peak, pretty much peak COVID, though, isn't it? First wave of yeah. the pandemic. That's so. a very good point. Yeah, it was. It That's was. a challenge. And and we were all masked up, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't want to lose the opportunity. But I think it's excellent. Um, I mean, in that in that time, obviously, as across the world, so many medical procedures went undone yes and went delayed and prolonged you know uh, and so many potential health risks were pushed back yes so i mean to to do that in the height of that was was you know really something special anyway yeah and what chris arranged was that there was a fast track through to ucl right because he had a contact with professors there that are researching prostate cancer and are, are urologists anyway so anybody went to their GP, gave them a code which the GP could use to give them a fast track into UCL if they're in the red Mm. at-risk group. So I I did that in the June and then we did another one in August and the numbers started to increase. Um, Then I got in touch with uh, OMAID, Metropolitan um, Communications Officer, and he helped me develop the stand-up banners which we put up in the London various London um, Masonic centres and the numbers, the awareness is picking up. This year, uh, one of the national newspapers has been doing a huge amount of of prostate cancer awareness, massive. Mm. Um, And that's really helped boost our numbers. And and thinking about the numbers of people that are getting screened, do you have any sort of rough statistics? If I have 100 men, Freemasons in a room getting screened... On average, what do the numbers say percentage of those people may be at risk? It's quite interesting you ask that question because it's a fairly static statistic mm. and it's currently running at 4.98%. So Which is high. Five, it might not be a high percentage in general. That's a lot of people. It's and a lot of people. One in 20. Yeah. One in 20, five in 100, you know, and That's so I would expect after our screen of 220 men, maybe 11 people. 12 people wow. will be in the red zone. That's 12 lives that could be possibly could be saved. Be saved. Yeah. That's 12 people that might have been asymptomatic. That's 12 people that might have just a, a minor problem, but actually they've got a major problem they didn't know about. Mm. And it says in the good book that if you save one life, you save a thousand. Yeah. Uh, so far, there's been 53 people who've gone through MET. There's been 200 and something who've gone through the provinces um, over the last three years out of nearly 6,000 men that have been screened in the overall, the provinces are currently part of the of the screening protocol. So, yeah, that answers your question. And if those listening out in the provinces want to take this up and, and run a screening session and, and, and get your support perhaps in organising that, how can they do that? They can do it by um, contacting me. Uh, in the first instance, with Chaps um, and Chris Booth, we will find either other charities in their localities that are doing the same but on a smaller scale. They will be able to find labs in their areas that will do the blood testing and supply the phlebotomists. Um, The process will be done by Grand Fulford uh, Trust, which collate all the data and supply the... um, registration so it wouldn't be too difficult to set it up Mm. and i have advised a couple of provinces so far in march of next year we're hoping to put on here at freemasons hall a prostate cancer screening um, conference Mm. we're bringing in people that have done this in europe in sweden 
eminent urologists and eminent uh, research scientists with a view, and we will invite all the provincial grandmasters or the representatives yeah. to come along uh, in order to make a big presentation in, in one hit if we can. So it wouldn't be that difficult to go into the provinces from my point of view. I think the difficulty will come is the will within the provinces that they would want to do it. Yeah. Um, it's not particularly hard work, but you you do need to focus. You need to laser focus in order to make sure that you get the best awareness amongst the, those in the province. So really to, to summarise what you're saying, you are proof really that this is uh, relevant to everyone, whether you're symptomatic or asymptomatic. Yes. Across the country, there is a high enough percentage for it to be, you know, relevant. Um, anyone can do this by, you know, any province, uh, any sort of mason can can take up this initiative in their province and get yes. in touch with you and try and organise this. Uh, and at the end of the day, it can, as you are proof of, save lives. Absolutely. It will come down to funding, of course, because yeah. they've either got to make a charge to the man that comes along for his test or hopefully some charities will yeah. will step in and help. Um, and, and, you know, I would just like to say that I think it would be, after such an ordeal, it would be a very natural thing to just go, wow, I'm so lucky and enjoy mm. the rest of your life without... Mm. <laughs> taking up this initiative to educate others and, and come on here and speak to us, you know, mm. really admirable and, and we really appreciate you Absolutely. speaking so candidly yep. um, about such a, a serious and personal issue to you. So thank you. We thank talked you. about this before on the mental health episode in yeah. season one, but I, I just want to reiterate this point before we sign off. Pride and fear can kill. Mm. And I think we got that, and I certainly got that from the story that you shared, is that when men are too proud or scared of something or maybe scared of the repercussions that in itself can lead to a worse outcome absolutely and so for those listening you know go and get that psa test speak to your province about setting up screening um and i think sean's going to support us with uh, getting some contact details out absolutely. as well yeah absolutely we'll include those for you in due course and we'll also include it in the frank if you're happy with us to you know share if anyone reaches out to share your contact details. Yes. I guess, Frank, to, to, to close, we are very lucky in that we speak to a very wide audience through this podcast. I'd like to end by giving you the opportunity to speak to people listening directly. And what would your message be to those people who are listening, maybe considering having a test but haven't had one yet, maybe scared of going and having it done? What would your message be to those people? My message would be for men generally, that they should consider their own health. Don't rely on your wife to push you to your GP or your sister or who, whoever is influential in your life. Uh, prostate cancer does kill if it's left unabated. And if you, if you get checked earlier, you could have a much longer and fruitful life. Frank Tiller, thank you very much for being with us. And thank you for the opportunity to spread it, for allowing me to spread the word. So, chaps, how do we feel about that conversation with Frank? I mean, you're uncomfortable at times, I think, to hear the mm. the raw nature of that story, but such an important message that he had to deliver for us all. Yeah, very, so so impactful, really. Uh, and to hear him, um, I'm sure he won't mind, mind me saying, you could certainly see at certain points in that conversation that he was a little more emotional, yeah. um, talking about, obviously, such a personal story to him. And it really reminded me of, of our 
mental health episode that we did last yeah. season yeah. that for the three of us it was a very raw and emotional topic and you could very clearly see that that was the case for him and the whole feeling of it the whole setting and I, I very much I wasn't quite expecting it to be so so raw I don't know why but I wasn't really expecting that and it yeah. was really nice I think uh, candid and honest mm. uh, approach to, to the whole topic mm. um, and really I think reminded us as well that even at our age we have a duty of care to our fellow brethren our fellow masons um and our family and and you know people close to us in that risk age group that i think you know i think it really hit home that idea of of our duty of care to each other for me yeah i absolutely agree and you know i i I, having listened i mean it's obviously not the first time i've i've heard frank's story but each time it really does hit home that, you know, and as I said at at the start of our conversation, each of us, unfortunately, have our own personal experiences with Mm. cancer, you know, um, that's the nature of of what is obviously a a horrible disease. And I think to hear it from from Frank, who, as you say, was very open with us, you know, and is so happy to sort of share his story in in the hope that, and I think we, you know, the same with the mental health episode, what we said, you know, if it helps one person, if one person having heard this goes and has, you know, a test, great. You know, it's been, it's been it's worthwhile, worth it. isn't it? Yeah. yeah and it's certainly admirable that the job that he's doing to, to yeah. get that message out there. Yeah, absolutely. 5% is the number that I take away. Yeah. 5% of people that have been screened have come back as red. And as you said at the beginning, Sean, we've got over 170,000 members of UGLE. Mm. That's about 8,500 people. Mm. Basically two provinces, two whole provinces worth of Masons that may be in the red. And Mm. so if you're listening to this and you want to know more about how to get screened or if you want to arrange a screening session as Frank has talked to us about today, do email us, podcasts at ugle.org.uk. And I'm sure that the team in Comshaw will be happy to forward on Absolutely. details. Um, I've certainly learned a lot. It's a very humbling experience talking to somebody who's been through that. But I think that if it just helps one person get identified as being at risk or having prostate cancer, then it's all worth it. I think also a positive from that to take away is that there, there is hope as mm-hmm. well. It's not Absolutely. just all doom and gloom. There yeah. is hope by doing this, that there is a, a future, there is a, a way forward, as, as Frank is, is proof of. So do email us, podcasts at ugle.org.uk, ugle underscore Grand Lodge on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. It's the best way to get in touch with us and hear about new episodes as well. So from me. From me. And me. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. The podcast is hosted by Sean Butler, Stephen Watley, and James Dalton. The producer is Marta Zandri. And the podcast is edited by Trisonic. Trisonic.